everybody. Uh, my name is Ryan. Uh, if we haven't met, I would love to get the chance to get to meet you. Uh, Jason, who is our lead pastor, is down preaching in Nashville today at one of our favorite churches down there. So we're really excited for him and for them to be able to have that opportunity. My role here is I'm one of the pastors on our team uh, that focuses on helping us to see how we love our city well. So I'm really excited because we are about to start going on a month-long journey just looking into that, what it means for us to be a church, be a community that just loves our city really well. Uh, and I'm excited to be able to look into that. One thing I want to point out as we do is that we are South Bend City Church. We love the city of South Bend. We will be a church that is for the city of South Bend. We are shaped by the city of South Bend. But we realize that there are a lot of people in our church family here uh, that just are looking for that community of grace and peace for a city in the world that aren't a part of South Bend. And if you're in that group, that is great. That is fine. That is wonderful. You are a part of the family here. And as we talk about this stuff, uh, it applies to wherever your city is, wherever your workplace is. So whether you're from uh, Mishawaka or Plymouth or Granger, Edwardsburg or Goshen or uh, Middlebury or Napanee or wherever it is you come from, the things that we're talking about here today, I'll be coming at it from a South Bend perspective because that's who I am. That's where my city is. Uh, but these things will apply to wherever you live. And we are just glad that we can be a family together in the middle of that. Sound good? Uh, as we go into this series on the city, uh, I'm really excited that we have the opportunity here to be able to dive in and talk about some of these things. Some of these topics that can be uh, challenging or uncomfortable, that can be difficult at times. I'm really thankful that we can be a church that we can take the opportunity to dive into talking about some of these things because I believe these conversations shape us. Right? One, it shapes the city. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to what it means uh, us through the years. You know, we're almost two years into this, this project as a church here. What does it look like if we keep having these tough conversations over time? What does it look like for our city in 20 years as we're able to have more and more of these conversations? But also, what does it mean as it shapes us, as it shapes our life, as it shapes our hearts and, and begins to change who we are? One of the ways I'm getting to see this uh, that's exciting for me is just being a parent. Uh, so my daughter Callie is my oldest and she is 11 years old. She's actually off to camp for a week, which was just heartbreaking for the both of us because we're like really tight buds. Uh, so she was crying, I was crying, but I'll get through this, right? Uh, so anyway, so she's 11 and uh, one thing is Callie just doesn't like to read. Like I can't get that kid to read anything, you know? I'm like putting a Harry Potter in front of her, you know, Dr. Seuss, what, whatever it is. Like I just can't get her into books. Well, she came home from uh, church a little while ago when we had our uh, race conversation that Zach and Angela led us into, which was just really meaningful to me and uh, meaningful to a lot of us. So it was meaningful to her, and she came home and decided she was passionate about racial justice. And I had bought a book, which I highly recommend, uh, called I'm Still Here, uh, which is a book by a woman named Austin Channing Brown. And it's a memoir of race and church and how those things have have gone together or not in her life. So I really recommend it. If you get a chance to read it, I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown. So anyway, so I bought this book and it was sitting on my bookshelf at home as I was getting ready to read it. And Callie comes across it and she sees it. She's like, 
is that a book on racial justice? I was like, well, kind of. And she's like, all right. And she picked it up and she read through the whole thing in three sittings. And I was so proud of her because uh, she doesn't read anything, right? And so uh, she finishes that and was just saying how much she liked it. I was like, well, if you like that, then I'm going to recommend this other one to you, which is Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates, which is another really meaningful memoir. And so she, I got that from the library for her and she started reading that one and she stops a little bit. She said, Dad, this one's just a little uh, deep for me right now. You know, I just finished reading this one memoir and to go right into another one. She's like, I think I need something a little lighter right now. So I was like, okay, you know, that's good. Do you want, you know, do you want to go with uh, Percy Jackson? Do you want to go with like Maze Runner? Like, what are we talking here? She's like, I think it's time for, for something feminist, you know, so <laughs> if you can pick, pick something like that out for me. So that was thanks to Sarah Bessie and the conversation that Sarah brought into our midst. So uh, I'm just thankful as a parent to, to be able to have these conversations, right, that like challenge us to, to not just listen in the moment, but to be able to dive in and explore more. And that's what this conversation is intended to be for us this morning. It's a conversation that one, hopefully is meaningful to us, but two, hopefully it pushes us to diving in and to exploring more about our city and to be shaped more. As we start into our talk about the city, I'm gonna come back to this verse that I've talked about in the past, uh, but I wanna teach it again because this verse for me is foundational in what it means for us to love our city well. It comes from the book of Jeremiah chapter 29. So in this passage is God is speaking to his people, the people of Israel, through the prophet of Jeremiah, right? And God's people at this time, they have been taken out from their homeland. They've been taken away from the place where they lived, the place where God had settled them. They've been captured and taken off as prisoners of war and are now forced to live in, in a place where they frankly just really don't want to be around people who they really don't want to be around uh, because these people are the people responsible for bringing them into captivity, right? So it's not like they've chosen their neighborhood. They're very much in a place where uh, things are not ideal for them. And this is the, the, the word that God has for them in this situation. He tells them this. He says, and you guys must seek the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile and pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. So the responsibility that God is giving them then is to, to, to pray for and to seek the good of these people around them, even the people who have been enemies to them and who have led to their own capture. Now, again, I want us to, to see in this, the word peace and prosperity there and the words welfare at the end. Uh, that is actually all the same word, okay, in the, in the Hebrew language that this was written in. It was all the same word. So the translators translate this in different words because they're trying to bring out all the different parts of the meaning. But the words peace and prosperity and then welfare are all the word shalom in the Hebrew, right? And shalom is this word that talks about peace and prosperity, and welfare, and wholeness, and uh, putting the pieces together back from the brokenness. The shalom is basically the world as if, it, as if it looked exactly like God would want it to be, right? Everybody, where there's flourishing and lack of brokenness and everything working together well. So this is the picture that we should be working for, that a world, a city, a people that are wholly functioning full of peace. But it's not just that. The word seek there, which is the call, the call to action that they're given. The word seek isn't just the word seek. So in the Hebrew, it's seek or to pursue, but then it goes even further to demand or to require. 
So it's not just this like, oh, try and do good stuff for those around you. No, it's if you are to follow me, here's what I want for you. I want you to demand and require wholeness and goodness and lack of brokenness for every single person that comes in contact all around you. So the call in this passage is this really kind of deep, full call that we as people of God should try to love our city toward wholeness in every way, in every aspect. So what does that look like for us? What does it look like for us in 2018 in South Bend and South Bend City Church to love our city toward wholeness in every area and every aspect of life? Well, for direction this, I want us to turn to one of my favorite stories, which is in Acts chapter 3. So, and this story comes just after Jesus had left the disciples, and we start to see what life is like for the disciples as they get out on their own, and they start to live out all the teachings and all the ways they've seen Jesus interacting with them in the time that he was there. They're finally out on their own, and they're finally able to to start living it out. And so this is what we see in this story in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. It says this, So one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. This is something that they would be doing regularly. This is just a normal daily part of life, right? Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When the man saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, hey, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as that same exact man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Okay, so here you have this interesting story about this man who is lame from birth. And what we know about a man who is lame from birth is a couple of things. One, this is no fault of his own, right? This is how he was born. He was born in a way that led him to have the condition and to have the life experience of what he had and what he was going through. We also know he wasn't able to contribute much of anything to the world, right? Because he was not able to walk, because he was lame, he was not able to hold down a job. He was not able to contribute to the family earning money and to the traditional ways. And one thing I keep coming back to over and over as we talk and as I go into the background of the New Testament and the Old Testament is that when we talk about family and we talk about marriage, we have to understand that for them, family and marriage was as much about economic survival as it was anything else. Right? That the families were together because they collectively worked together to ensure their own survival. And so when you had someone in your family that, that was lame, that couldn't walk, they couldn't work, you had to feed them, and yet they were offering nothing to contribute to the family's survival. And that was frustrating to family members, which led to these people being outcasts. The other thing we know about somebody in this condition is that they would have been considered unclean. So they would have been an embarrassment to the family and they would have been held outside of community. Again, through no fault of their own, just based on the way that they were born. We also know this man was sitting each day outside the gate of the temple. Why would he be sitting outside the gate of the temple? 
Well, a couple of reasons. One, that's a really good place to make money, right, if you're going to be doing that because uh, everybody's going to the temple, they're going to church, and they have their money with them because they're going to be uh, giving money uh, as a part of their tithes, as a part of their trip to the temple. So you have people going to the temple to give money, and so you know they have the money on them, and they're already probably feeling, like, guilty then, right? Like, it's one thing to, like, not give something to help somebody. It's another thing to do that, like, right before you walk into church, right? So they, they figured that this was a good way to make sure that they, they collected a lot of money is they would sit by the gate of the temple. The other reason that the, he was sitting by the gate of the temple was he was not allowed to cross through that gate. Because of being born lame, because of how he was born, he was not allowed to participate in the community and life of faith in the temple. He was stuck outside. He could not go in. He could not participate. This man was experiencing brokenness and pain on so many levels. And you have Peter and John then who are walking to the temple, just going about their daily business. And as they're walking to the temple, just like with everybody else, they see this man, they're confronted by his brokenness. They're confronted by his story. They're confronted by his pain. They're just living their normal everyday life and they see and confronted by the brokenness in front of them. And that's our story too, right? We can't do anything in our life, in our world, in our city without being confronted by the pain in our world. I don't know about you, but I, it's hard for me to drive across town without turning the radio off because then I'm stuck with my thoughts, right? And stuck with just thinking through my life and my story and my wishes and my dreams and the things that haven't worked out the way I want, the things that I still want to work out and I'm not satisfied that they haven't happened yet, right? We have pain inside of us. We see pain in our relationships and our friendships every time we see someone we love and we're confronted by relationships that don't just work out very well sometimes. Pain with the parents, pain with children, pain with friends, pain in marriages, right? Anywhere we go, anything we do, we are confronted by the pain and the brokenness of our world. Going to the grocery store, you drive past people standing on the side of the road with signs asking for help. You know that they have stories, you have things that they're going through in that space. Yesterday, my wife was just trying to drive from our house up to Walmart to go to the grocery store on Portage, and you may have heard on the news that uh, there was a man who was shot right there at the roundabout on Portage and Lathrop up there. The car was flipped upside down, the body laying in the road for hours, right? And they couldn't get to the grocery store without being confronted by the reality of some of the pain, some of the brokenness, some of the lack of wholeness that's there in our city. You see it on the news. If you're following the news, you see beyond that situation yesterday. In the last couple of weeks, there's been three or four children, teenagers in our city that have lost their lives or been shot through gun, gun violence. Right? This is going on in our city. You see the story of the young man in Pittsburgh who was shot unarmed. We see our schools in our city here that uh, got to the point that they were lacking funding so much that they had to actually close some schools down and combine schools together, which meant teachers that had been in buildings for their whole career were displaced. Children who had been going to their neighborhood school for their entire life so far now are having to, to get in buses and travel to the other side of town at times 
Uh, bus trips, which uh, when the buses aren't running on time means that they're arriving late to school. They're missing out on some more of their education, meaning they're getting further and further behind, right? You see all these things in the news. We cannot go throughout our day without seeing the man at the temple gates. We see it there just in our daily life. We see the hurt and the pain and the brokenness in our city. Like Peter and John, we're heading to the temple. But what does it look like for us when we come across the beggar at the gates? Well, I want us to learn from this. Uh, I want us to see these three uh, lessons about loving our city towards wholeness when we're confronted by it in our lives. The first lesson that we learn from this story uh, as we love our city to wholeness, the first lesson is that we need to act. That we need to act. We need to do something. Quite simply, Peter and John did something, right? They saw the man at the gates and they didn't just walk by him. They, they stopped and they did something to care for him. They did something to bring goodness and wholeness into his life. They could have very easily just walked right past him and walked into the temple as most people probably were doing at that point in time, right? It would have been easy to walk through and to not do anything. But they didn't, they acted, and we also have a responsibility to act on the brokenness in our world. Maybe it shouldn't have to be said, but let's be honest. We sometimes need to talk about this because too often we don't act. It's so easy for us to see brokenness in the shalom around us, but to do nothing. Sometimes it's, it's because we just have uncertainty, right? We don't know what to do. We see things going on and we just don't know what to do about it. And that's understandable. That makes sense. And sometimes that leads us to not doing anything. Sometimes we see what's going on, but we're filled with fear. We're afraid of what it would take to do something about it. Afraid of what that would mean for our lives. Afraid of what could happen to us. Afraid of what it would look like. And so out of fear, we don't do anything. Sometimes we don't do anything because uh, we're standing on the side counting our blessings, right? We see these difficult situations and we're just like, wow, I'm just thankful that that's not me right now. Uh, I went on mission trips when I was in high school and we went to this uh, poor fishing village in Mexico where people just had nothing. And I just remember at the time, like, I went and I was excited to go and I went, I went to this village and I, I saw this village and all, like all of my other friends were in the same boat and really it was just that we came back and we're like, man, I'm so thankful I went on that trip because I saw those people, they had nothing and I am just so thankful that I am blessed. I am B-L-E-S-S-E-D, blessed. You know, like I got, like I don't, mom and dad, I don't even need that newer, nicer car because I'm just thankful for the car that I already have. You know, like I'm just thankful for the money that I already have. And so I got back and to tell you the truth, I saw all that brokenness and I did nothing about it. I just stood on the side and just used it as a lesson to be thankful for the things I had and how God had blessed me so much. And I think that's a temptation that we have sometimes is we can see the brokenness and instead of moving us towards action, it just moves us to thankfulness. And while thankfulness is a great place to move towards, it also needs to be followed up by the other side. Sometimes we do nothing because we've created a, a theology that's all about the spiritual. Sometimes we get into churches and we make our theology just about what goes on in our hearts, that it's about getting our hearts clean and pure so that we can be with God in heaven. And we create this theology that says the physical and emotional world 
isn't that important. And it gives us this cover to be able to distance ourselves from that and say, you know, yeah, there's a lot going on in our city, but it's really a heart problem, right? So people just need to get their hearts right. They need to get the sin out of them. And so we will pray for them. But we really can't do anything until the sin's out of everybody, right? And we create this theology that separates us from needing to do anything to love our city towards wholeness. There's all sorts of ways that we need to be reminded to act. But what we see from Jeremiah and Peter and John is that the tangible needs of our community are important and they do require action. The second lesson that we learn from this as we come across the brokenness in our world is that we need to act from what we have to offer. Act from what we have to offer. I love in this story, so Peter and John are walking to the temple and they see the man there uh, and he's asking them for money and their response uh, is wonderful. They say, hey man, silver and gold, we don't have, uh, we just don't have it, man, but what we have, we give to you, right? They're saying like, hey, I don't have any money, but I got this other thing, right? So like, this is what I do have, which what they had was healing in the name of Jesus, which is pretty great, right? Uh, so they, they extended that to him and said, but there's something important in knowing what we do have and what we don't have and loving from what we do have. Because loving our city towards wholeness is not a one-size-fits-all endeavor. I love, Jay had a sermon back in April that if you weren't here to hear, I encourage you to go back on our podcast and catch it. It was in our series on uh, bearing the image of God in our world and he talked about self-awareness and he got into the Enneagram a little bit and just the importance of knowing who we are and who we were made to be individually, right? That we're not all the same and we, we don't all have the same thing to offer the world because so many times we can get so insecure about that, right? And we can look at the things other people are doing and feel insecure if we don't feel like we have the same things to add, right? I'm a raging extrovert, right? So I can like go up and talk to my neighbors and do all this stuff. Um, But Jason, who is a raging introvert, (laughs) has something different to offer the world than what I have to offer. So he is an amazing, thoughtful, thoughtful person who is one of the best teachers and preachers I've ever heard, right? But he says, Ryan, I can't go up and talk to my neighbors in the same way that you can just walk up to anybody and talk to them. And that's okay. He has something different to offer the world. So maybe it's our personalities that make us insecure that, that we don't have the same thing to offer. Or maybe we get insecure because we don't have money to give, right? Like, you know, you can say, I'm just having trouble making my bills get paid, you know? Like, I don't have money to contribute to some of these needs that I see. What can I do about it? Or maybe it's like with my, my daughters. Maybe it's just kids. And you're like, well, I'm just a kid. What can I do? about this situation. But the reality is, is that we all have something that we do have to offer. Uh, Growing up, my family, my parents are right here in the front, front and center, thanks mom. Uh, uh, It always makes me feel warm and loved when they're right in the front and laugh at my jokes, it's good. Uh, So we were a card playing family, anybody has card playing families? Yeah, not as many as I thought, wow, okay. Uh, Euchre, spades, those were some of my favorites growing up as a kid. Uh, love playing those. And uh, as a kid growing up, when I was learning, uh, I was extremely whiny as a kid and as an adult. Uh, <laughs> extremely whiny about, about the game and, and extremely petty. So I would keep track of like the cards that I would or wouldn't get and the cards that other people would get so that when I lost the game, it was like, well, it's because you had three trump cards and I only had one. So, you know, like 
what was I supposed to do about it? Uh, but one of the things, one of the lessons I learned through cards was that you can't control what cards you get. All you can control is what you do with those cards, right? All you can control is how you play the cards that you are given. And so the question for us is, what are the cards that are in our hand? What are the cards that we have to play? For some, it is money, right? Some of y'all have money. You have resources, and that is one of the cards that you have to play to contribute to the needs at hand. For others, maybe it's time or talent or experience or built relationship. We all have something that we can contribute. Uh, the 4th of July, uh, we had a cookout at our house, and we had some of our neighbors over, and it was a lot of fun. And we were doing fireworks, and I had the kids out there, and we're out front doing fireworks. And some of my neighbors, uh, a couple houses down that I know um, and have good relationships with, so they're like 65, 70-year-old men, and they had a little too much to drink, like a lot too much to drink. And they start uh, mouthing at each other, and then they start like fist fighting, right? These like 70-year-old guys like fist fighting. It's like slow-mo fist fighting, right? Um, and so I see that, and I start walking over to try and like be a peacemaker in the middle of the situation. As I walk over, my wife catches me. She's like, Ryan, like be careful. You just don't, you don't need to do this. You don't need to get involved. You know, like it's going to work itself out. And I was like, Robin, like, I'm okay in this situation. It was like, here's the cards in my hand. One, for, this is like the only time in my life where physical superiority is like the card I have to play. <laughs> like the only time. Like, let me play that card, right? <laughs> Worst case scenario, I can outrun them, right? <laughs> uh, the second card I had to play was that I had relationship with each of those guys. So as I was able to go into the situation, I knew that I could be able to talk to them out of that point of relationship. And we were able to have a good conversation. We got the situation calmed down, right? When I came back and, and talked to my wife about it, I was like, honey, like I realized that in this situation I had those cards and I needed to play those cards that I had. But you know what, like down on the other side of the street are guys that are much younger and bigger and stronger and like to use weapons. If they're getting into it, like I don't have cards to play in that situation. I'm not gonna walk into the middle of that, right? And so I would see that situation and have to address that situation from a different place in the situation I address. Does that make sense? We all have different cards to play. And each situation requires different cards and different opportunities. So the question is, what are the cards that you have and how can you play those cards? So as we look around our city, you may look at the problem with the schools and you say, oh, I'm, not, I'm not wired to be a school teacher, so I can't really help there. Well, maybe you can like just drive bus in the morning so those kids that now have to go to the other side of town have an opportunity to be able to get there on time so that they're not missing out on their education. And maybe you don't need the extra money, but maybe that's just something you can do with the time you have. Maybe you look at those who are vulnerable without shelter on our streets. Maybe you can't provide affordable housing. Maybe you're not a counselor, but maybe you can provide a friendship, right, to where you can just be there and talk with somebody and walk through life and just have that human connection together. Maybe you're a bit of a spreadsheet person, uh, right, and you can help your neighbors who need to file for health care for their children and need to, to fill out all that paperwork that can be daunting. Or maybe your neighbors have gotten into some financial trouble and you need to help them work things out with creditors and you have experience there. That's something I don't know how to do. What are the cards you have? Maybe unlike Peter and John, you're like, silver and gold I do have, right? And you just need to cut a check to be able to make some of the things possible uh, from other people that are already doing that. 
what are the things in your hand? And as we ask this question, what are the things in our hand, one of the things we need to look at are what are the things that are in our hand as a city? What are those things that are already going on? What are the organizations that are already working well? And how do we come alongside of that? I think of organizations like Hope Ministries and the Catholic Worker, which are providing meals and showers to anybody who needs that, right? That's already going on. We had a situation about a year ago where uh, many who were needing shelter were finding their way under the bridges. Many of our neighbors were. Uh, and people who had good hearts, who were looking to love and, and do good things, were coming out and they were setting up tables of food out there uh, to be able to feed the people who were living under the bridge, which is wonderful, except for the fact that Hope Ministries already has meals that they prepare for all of those people, uh, and all of those people normally are heading to Hope for meals. Hope provides meals uh, for lunch and dinner every day for anybody who would need it, right? Uh, so as the people were coming and they were eating the pizzas that the, these people were bringing and setting up outside the bridge, what was happening was that uh, nobody was coming to eat at Hope then on those evenings, and then Hope ended up having to waste all of this food and all of these volunteers that came in, right? So there was something already going on, and people weren't aware of the cards that were already being played to be able to come alongside of that. And in their efforts to do great things ended up actually causing some challenges in the midst of that. So if we're going to love our city well from the cards that we already have in our hand, we need to understand what's there. We have great things in Hope and the Center and Catholic Worker. We have great things in some of, the, uh, some of the community centers, like the Beacon Center out by the airport and in the Croc Center that's just across the street in our neighborhood here where people can come together. We have great organizations like Transformation Ministries that's working in student development in our community. La Casa de Amistad, which is a fantastic advocacy group for the Latino population on the west side, helping people with citizenship classes and with language classes and all sorts of other things. Fantastic group. And South Bend Schools even. Though there's many challenges that are going on there, South Bend Schools has some of the most amazing teachers around, teachers that are committed, teachers that are loving, teachers that work so hard for our kids. We have some great cards in our hand as a city. How can we come alongside those cards? Finally, the third lesson that I want us to learn from this, beyond acting and acting from the cards that we have, is acting on what is really needed. So Peter and John come up to this man who is begging for money, right? Money is what he's saying he needs. Money is what he keeps coming to, and people keep walking by, some giving money, some not. But when they come up to him, they have a different approach. As they walk by, one of the first things we see from them is this. It says, Peter looked straight at the man and did John, and Peter said, look at us, right? Look at us. Now, one of the things this man on the road was lacking was human dignity, People were walking past him, and because of how they saw him, because of the low status they ascribed to him, because they saw him as impure, they weren't even talking to this man. They weren't looking at him. They weren't treating him like a human being. And one of the first things Peter and John did is they looked straight at him and had him look at them, and there was human connection. They met a deeper need. The second deeper need they met was they provided healing in the name of Jesus, right? He was begging because he was lame, and what they offered was not just money to be able to survive in life, but the ability to have healing. And the man was able to get up and walk. They gave him human connection. They gave him the healing he needed. And perhaps the most important thing was the third thing. What did he do once he was healed? They said, come with us, and they walked through that gate. They walked through the gate of the temple, the barrier that had held him outside of faith, the barrier that held him outside of community, and this man who had been an outsider 
on the fringes, had been marginalized for so long, now had the ability to participate in the community of faith. It wasn't just about what he thought he needed. It was about the deeper things, the deeper needs that were there. It's so easy for us to do the drive-by thing, right? To just drive by and see a problem and not really get into it, right? To just do a little bit here, there. Maybe we do the drive-by thing. Maybe we uh, contribute a little money. Maybe we donate a little food. Maybe we write that social media post of solidarity. It's so easy to just walk past and do the simple drive-by thing without really getting into what the deeper needs and deeper opportunities may be. How do we really take time to see and learn about what the needs really are? When we see our schools, do we ask ourselves, do we research, do we look into why are the schools struggling? Why is this pattern happening across our city? Why are the addiction stats so high? What's causing this? What's going into it? What's keeping people in these places? Why are there racial and gender education gaps that are having some people have different experiences and opportunities than others? What's contributing to those things? What's perpetuating those things? What's keeping them going? What leads to smart, capable people finding themselves without shelter? Why is this happening? And what can we do to care and to love towards wholeness at the deepest levels? We can't make progress towards wholeness for our city until we first stop to watch and to listen well. So here's our action. We got two points of action for us. One, our action point is next Sunday. Uh, next Sunday, uh, instead of having a normal sermon time, next Sunday we're going to have a South Bend TED Talks, if you will, or Studebaker Talks. Right? We're going to have three community leaders that are going to come in and talk about some of the deeper needs of our city and what can be done. So we'll have one of our own family members over here, Michelle, uh, will be speaking representing Hope Ministries, and we're excited for that. Uh, Corey Lance will be speaking representing Transformation Ministries, and Sam Sinteus, uh, who represents La Casa de Amistad on the west side, will be speaking. I'm really excited. For us, this will be a time to just come and to listen and to see and to see how God might move us towards action in that. Really excited for that. The second point of action is something we can do individually this week. Just like Dan led us in that point of uh, kind of visioning and empathy as we imagined our city. It's this week, as you're going through life, as you come across ways in which the world is not experiencing wholeness, instead of just seeing it and driving past or seeing it and assume you know what the answer is, I'm gonna ask you to see that thing and start to ask the question why and start to look into that. Just spend a week asking and listening and as you do, also start asking what what cards might I have in my hands already? What things might I be positioned to do? And just see where that takes you. Just see where it takes you. We're not going to get to all the answers. We're not. We're just going to start this process of going deeper with genuine love and empathy for our community. Can we do that? All right. I'll have you stand as we go. <laughs> May we be a church 
that is committed to love our city deeply, not just at the surface levels, but down deep to the heart of what is really needed. May we not be content in just scratching the surface, but may we long for deep, true wholeness. As you go this week, grace and peace be with you. Have a great week.